In both our first reading and our gospel today, we, we have an example of the people of God, of the chosen people, uh, the Israelites, essentially rejecting the teaching uh, of, of God. So we have this with Ezekiel, of course, who is there to, to be sent. It says right in the beginning of chapter 2 of Ezekiel, So the Lord spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard the one who was speaking say to me, I am sending you to the Israelites, rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their ancestors revolted against me to this very day. And of course, this is what Ezekiel does. He goes and he tells them, turn back to the Lord. Turn back, repent of your ways. And what do they do? They reject Ezekiel. As they've rejected all the prophets as well. So we fast forward to Jesus. And sure enough, now Jesus is at his hometown of Nazareth. And what do they do? They mock and they ridicule him. Say, did you not grow up with us? How can you truly say you're the, you know, not only a prophet, a prophet even, but how could you be the son of God? Or if they would have just looked a little bit into, into the scriptures that they knew, they knew that Jesus was from, you know, yes, a son of a carpenter, uh, but that was the line of, of David. And they could see as well that the prophets foretold that someone would spring up from that, that region of Nazareth. And yet, once again, they had this unbelief. So it wasn't only them that, that rejected Jesus. We know, well, the Israelites did, the Jewish people did, and hence Jesus died on the cross, was crucified. You know, crucified for us, but still, he was rejected. We fast forward to the apostles. They too went out trying to preach the good news, the gospel, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. And what happens? They're rejected. They're martyred. They're martyred for their faith. And over and over and over again throughout history, we see that this happens. Not only with the apostles, but the saints as well, who have gone and tried to speak the truth. What happens? People reject it. They turn to the world instead of turning towards the Lord. And yet Jesus in his infinite wisdom set up what? He set up the church. Of course, we celebrate this at Pentecost. And what is one of the main roles of the church? Yes, it's for the sacraments. Yes, it's to bring us together in this unity. But it's to continue to form us and teach us his way. To continue to encourage us to turn to the Lord. Especially if there's any correction that needs to be happening this is a great gift that, that Jesus has given us because, well, we're humans. We sin. Look at Adam and Eve and ever since, right? We always seem to fall away. And so it's a great gift of the church and the magisterium, which is the teaching of the church, to help us, to form us, to continue to stay in the way of the Lord. And that teachings of the church are not meant to hinder us, they're not meant to oppress us, they're actually meant to give us freedom and kind of this, this roadmap as well of how to live our faith. And isn't that a great gift? Recently, I'm sure you've opened up a newspaper or your Twitter feed or Yahoo News. I don't know what you look at, right? Whatever we get our news sources from or you turn on the TV. And I'm sure that you have seen an article or maybe a, a video, whatever it may be, of, you know, the United States Catholic Council of Bishops coming together. And this happens every, 
every year. Uh, they had these different conferences. But this year, they had a special topic, and it was on the importance of the Eucharist and why. Why do they want to document on the importance of the Eucharist? Don't believe the news on this one, by the way. The reason they want to document on the Eucharist is because only about 33%, not even 33%, of Catholics believe that the Eucharist truly is the body and blood of Christ. This is essential belief of Catholics, that Jesus truly is present in the Eucharist. But if only 33% believe that, obviously we're doing something wrong. And don't you think the bishop should come together and say, what is our plan to address this? It's actually Bishop Cousins, our auxiliary bishop here, who will be leading uh, that charge on evangelization of the Eucharist. He's putting together as a three-year plan. Uh, hopefully it goes well. We pray for the success uh, of that. And actually every three years as well, we always spend about six weeks with John chapter 6, and that will happen at the end of July and through August as well, kind of really focusing on the importance of the Eucharist and helping us to reaffirm our belief that it truly is the body and blood of Christ. Now, yes, in that document as well, it will address an issue. And that issue will be, what about politicians that go against church teaching? Obviously, in the news, we have, well, our president, Joe Biden, who is a Catholic, uh, goes to Mass every, every Sunday, but he votes in a way uh, he votes in a way of being pro-choice, pro-abortion. He says that he is pro-life individually, but he votes in a way that is pro-choice. Of course, we know this goes against the teachings of the church. And so what are they supposed to do about it? Well, as a shepherd, and that's what bishops are, an extension of the apostles, isn't it part of their role as a shepherd to correct of course it is. That's what we're called. That's what they're called to do. As a pastor, I'm called to correct when needed. As a parent, what do you do for your children? You correct them sometimes. You encourage them sometimes. And so with this, as, as we see this, we, we see this is not just the only issue. We all can have this temptation to fall into this thing, which we call being something called a cafeteria Catholic. What does that mean? It's so the analogy of going through a buffet line and choosing what teachings to believe and to accept and those you don't. We call that being a cafeteria Catholic. Now, are there things in the church that maybe we have a hard time understanding or we need to grapple with? Yes. Right? What are, what are some of the hot topic issues? You mentioned, you know, pro-life or pro-choice. We mentioned, you know, the death penalty. The Catholic Church is against the death penalty. Immigration, the Catholic Church is pro-immigration. Healthcare for everyone, the Catholic Church is for that because it provides for uh, the common good. Marriage between one man and one woman, standing up for the dignity of marriage. Uh, the, the act of natural family planning, that we're against contraception. All these can be hot topic issues and maybe something that you wrestle with. And if you do, I encourage you to go and, and investigate. We have a beautiful gift of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. We have plenty of resources online. Form.org uh, is, is one of them. But, but with this, to go ahead and to say, okay, I know this is what the church 
teaches, but why does it teach it? Why? And when we do this, hopefully what we can see is we can see the beauty of the church's teaching. Once again, to help us and to guide us and to be acceptance, to be accepting of this guidance. This is what we're called to do. Now, yes, we know that the Lord is merciful. Yes, we know that the Lord is here to, to help. But we also have to say, okay, the church teaches these things. How can I at least try to understand this? And so when I come to receive the Eucharist and we hear the body of Christ, we say, amen, I believe that, yes, it's truly Jesus Christ who has given up his, his life for me, but also I believe in, in the teachings of the church saying this amen. And when we do this, hopefully what we can do is come together in greater unity. And so, once again, what a great gift uh, the church is. What a great gift the magisterium is, the teachings of the church. Let's not reject it. Let's not reject it like the Israelites rejected God, like the apostles. Well, they even rejected God at first, but of course they, they came around. Uh, but to continue to, to, to wrestle with this, to grapple with this, maybe an issue we, we struggle with, but to go ahead and try to understand as well. And I'm confident that when you do this, you'll see the beauty of the church's teaching and realizing that the role of the bishops is to help us and to correct us when it's needed. The Eucharist is not meant to be used as a weapon uh, for either uh, side, and I don't think the bishop's intention is to use it as, as a weapon, and we hope that other people don't as well. I want to switch gears here a little bit in the homily so we have to talk about a liturgical action that we're bringing back here this week as well. As you know, with COVID, uh, we suspended the sign of peace. Well, we're bringing back the sign of peace starting today. So hopefully you're excited about that. Maybe you're a little nervous about that as well. I just want to explain a little bit of why we do the sign of peace and how to do the sign of peace and then how to do the sign of peace during you know, this time that maybe we're still afraid uh, to shake hands. It was in 2006 that the bishops around the world uh, asked the Vatican, asked the, you know, the Congregation for Worship, of do we, can we move the sign of peace? Because what's happening, as we know, is that the sign of peace can kind of interrupt the flow of, of the Mass. But the Congregation of Worship said, no, the sign of peace should stay where it is. And the reason for that is because what it symbolizes. The sign of peace symbolizes that peace that Christ wants to give to us. Remember, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he goes to the apostles and he says to them what? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And so that sign of peace is called to signify uh, that peace of Christ that he wants to give each and every one of us. So we have to think about it in that way of, of Christ peace. And so when we think about that way, of course it fits. We celebrate the Eucharistic prayer. We've, we've had the Our Father. We're about to receive him. And before that, we're even receiving that peace of Christ as well. Now, as you know, and I, I know when it comes to the sign of peace, sometimes it can be very chaotic. I know when I was a kid, I think half the Sundays in the summer during the sign of peace, I'd ask my dad, I'd say, Dad, what time is the tea time today? Which is not the appropriate sign of peace, by the way. I want to let you uh, know that. Or we could uh, go to someone and say, hey, great to see you, good to see you. And that's not the way that we're supposed to do the sign of peace. Instead, the way the sign of peace is supposed to happen is you simply go to the person to your left and the person to your right and you say, peace be with you. Maybe the person behind you, in front of you as well. 
It should take seven seconds, maybe eight. Uh, even the document that the Vatican put out in 2014 says we're not called to crawl down the pew and shake everyone's hands. That's not the part uh, for, for the sign of peace. It's simply that peace of Christ uh, to, to be shared. Now, maybe you're not comfortable extending your hand. Not a problem. A great way to do the sign of peace from that time is put your hands like this. Look to the person next to you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. That works. It works marvelously. So if you don't feel comfortable extending your hand, don't feel pressure to. But once again, when it comes to that sign of peace, remember, it's saying Christ peace. So we want to express that, that peace that Christ wants uh, to give us. And so we want to make sure we keep it reverent at that time, but also experience that, that, that joy and that, that great supernatural gift uh, that God wants to give. So when we do that, hopefully we can experience some of that, that unity as well. But as you and I know, the whole world needs as well.